the incomparable. Number 498, January 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell. And in early 2020, we are uh, wrapping up a bunch of TV shows from late 2019. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about, it's a first for us, an Apple TV Plus program for all mankind. Showrunner Ronald D. Moore of Battlestar Galactica and uh, Star Trek The Next Generation fame. Um, but this is a science fact slash science fiction. It's a slightly more <laughs> factual fiction, fictional faction. Uh, to join me to talk about this story of the space race in an alternate history are uh, four wonderful people. And I'll introduce them now. Dan Morin is here. Hello, Dan. Hi, Bob. Thank you. Kathy Campbell is here. Hi, Bob. Moises Chuyan is here. That's insane. You can't be considering that. You're going to put the entire mission in jeopardy. Say hi, Bob. Now you have to do it. Hi, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> and my outer space uh, fact compatriot from the Liftoff podcast, uh, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hi, Bob. There we go. <laughs> hi, Bob, to all. There, Nailed there, there's it. There's a whole <laughs> thing about Bo- the Bob Newhart show that. Uh, that we'll get surprising to. amount of Bob Newhart content in this. Yeah, show. Really, really. Just say hi, Bob. Make Jason happy. You mm-hmm. don't. You got to just do it. He's he's in a very delicate place right now. Ten episodes ran uh, November December on Apple TV Plus. So part of the launch uh, launch programming from from Apple's new streaming service. I see what you did there. Launch programming. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. You got <laughs> this launch took off. Um, or did it? I don't know. Uh, it, it is uh, the show I was the most excited about when they announced it because um, I really like the idea of Ron Moore dipping his toe back into space and the idea of doing an alternate uh, history space race sounded like a lot of fun. Um, and it turned into uh, a show I, I really liked, one of my one of my favorites of, of 2019. Um, so uh, I, I guess I wanted to start by talking about the premise, because this is one of the things um, I know that Stephen and I had have talked about it a little bit before. Like, what is going to be the divergence? How is this how is uh, this show going to split off of what we know, uh, play off of history, but also then change history? And, you know, it's set out in the first scene, essentially. The idea here is that the, for whatever reason, the uh, the Russian space program has been successful in landing someone, Alexei Leonov, real guy, real cosmonaut, on the moon. And he's the first man on the moon. And then later they land the first woman on the moon. And the idea there is that this spurs uh, Nixon to insist that uh, that they ramp up the space program and so instead of sort of doing some apollo missions and calling it a day instead uh their foot is put on the gas and we we uh you know do a whole lot more in space than the united states actually did in the early 1970s um steven we'll start with you uh how did you feel about like about the premise of this and and how they did the kind of divergence from history in the early going I love the premise. I think it's so interesting to take something that is really well known. And remember, this is coming the same year as the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, right? So this is in the culture this year. And I appreciated that they basically right off the bat made it clear that they were going to diverge, right? That it wasn't three episodes in, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this isn't just a historical retelling. You know, if someone just hit play on their Apple TV with not knowing the background. So I think I think it did them a favor by just right right off the jump, totally changing what we know and saying, you know, this is a world that may look familiar to you, but it is 
fictional from from this moment forward. And as we go, we can talk about some ways that that pops up. But I think one of the most interesting ways, again, talking about those early scenes, is that those men that we've talked about with Apollo 11, you know, uh, Neil Armstrong and and Buzz Aldrin, like they're not major players here, right? We move past them very quickly. And I think that makes it a little bit easier to get on board with. This is going to be a different uh, story than what you think it may be. Yeah. In fact, one of the uh, things that they they seem fairly (laughs) – making a fairly concerted effort to – have the main characters be fictional because the the roles mm. that some of our main characters play in this are roles that you could argue are they actually are playing people from reality, but they've changed mm-hmm. their names and some of the details in order to have them do dramatic things that are not ascribed to a real person who lived because it's a little bit weird, right, to make a person who lived uh, do stuff that is mm-hmm. dramatic and that is completely fictionalized. It's just a little right. weird. So they they do a little of it, right? We do have characters that are that are real who. Appear and are killed off in various ways or just fade into the background, but they are kind of on the periphery rather than being at the at the center of it. It's not the it's not the main characters; it's the supporting characters where you get to see Ferner von Braun or you know Pete Conrad and Mike Collins and Charlie Duke and people like that. They're they're out on the edges, but it's really about these people who don't who didn't actually exist or at least have been changed to the point where they're not recognizable, which is, I get why you would want to do that. It, it make it would be weird if there was a whole family drama going on about a person who actually lived and didn't have that family drama. A notable exception being Deke Slayton. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Deke Slayton does kick around for a while. And <laughs> yeah. for a while. I'll say it right now. We're going to go into the spoiler detail. Uh, you should go watch for all mankind. Uh, we're yes. going to, we're going to, we're going to spoil things from it so uh mm-hmm. go watch it uh and uh otherwise we're gonna we're gonna say what happens to some of these characters <laughs> Werner von braun is a great example too where like everything how they deal with him is it's pretty accurate in terms of the the facts of his case he he is a difficult figure to uh deal with in the terms of american space program because he was both the person who pushed the space program forward and also has this history working in Nazi Germany that is uh, ha- there are some serious questions about and it didn't quite play out the way it did in in hi- in uh, real history but it, you know they still addressed it and that was an interesting again kind of like fictionalized but also historical the Werner von Braun thing caught me uh, in some ways by surprise I didn't know that character was going to be depicted uh, on this show played by the, uh, uh, I believe it's Confiore, right, who plays him, who is uh, yeah. a good, great yeah. Canadian, I want to say, actor. He was, he appears briefly in Slings and Arrows. Um, I I was surprised because, like, I'm watching the first couple episodes and they don't really go into this. I'm like, wait, he's a kind of contentious figure. Like, what are they, are we just, like, whitewashing all of that right now? And then it all kind of pays off later, which I thought was uh, really nicely done, especially for anybody who isn't aware of who he is as a historical figure. Um, But the thing that struck me going into this whole show was I very much, you know, coming from uh, Ron Moore, you know, I think I expected something that was more science fiction-y. And Jason, you call it science fact up front. And I think, you know, this show is in some ways much more historical drama than science fiction or period quote unquote drama, um, because while there are there all there are derivations obviously from our timeline, it's not like we you know immediately jump into some sort of you know amazing futuristic ray gun uh, alien scenario, right? Like it's still very grounded in all of the science and history of that era, and it, as such, like I think it really is a fascinating 
look into like a very specific subset of our history, but it is, I, yeah, I, I don't think you can really call it science fiction per se. And I think that's an interesting choice. I mean, alt history is a way to do it. I, I, I also, I mean, I was going to say it's science fiction about the past, <laughs> which is a right. weird construction, <laughs> but that is what a lot of alt, alt history is. Cause it is, I mean, largely said in the first half of the 1970s is when this show is set a little bit late 60s but mostly it's the it's it's the early 70s and even though it has diverged and there's all sorts of things happening that didn't actually happen in our world it's still set in the 70s it's not right you know it's not a futuristic kind of kind of story i feel like he really pulled um information and the the by doing Outlander after Battlestar Galactica and all of these shows, he kind of pulled from each of his past shows to bring this together, um, being able to have real things that really happened that people can Google and be like, oh, who was, you know, Werder von Braun? Who, who are these people? Um, and find the bits and pieces that are true and really fill out our history with this alt history that still has such a strong basis in fact that really just makes it as full blown as you can imagine a show like this could be. Yeah, I didn't mention Outlander, but as somebody who who uh, I think like you has seen every yes. episode of Outlander, that uh-huh. is a that is a time. Tra- I mean, that's a that's a, a weird fusion yeah. of genres because it's like romance and time travel together and historical. Yep. But it is similar in that way that it, it that it's a, a story that is fiction, but at the same time you're looking up like well, Real who was people. Bonnie Prince Charlie, right? Like, and, right. It's, and it's mixing both of those things. And there's there's an element of there are many scenes in Apollo 13 that people remember, uh, but one in particular that stands out is the one where they go, this is what they have. This is what they have to work with. How are we going to solve this problem? It's part of the bad stuff happens in space genre that you you have a limited set of resources and those limitations dictate how you're going to get your way out of a life or death situation. And in the case of constructing this show. What Ron Moore and his writing staff did was they looked within the bounds of what of of, of what was correct to the era. And so I, I would jump to the Harlan Ellisonism of speculative fiction as, as the term yeah. that I'd use for this, where it's going. These are these are the the variables that, that are that are in play. How do we rearrange not just chess pieces on the board, um, but but how that influences, you know, the flow of play going forward? Because in the end, it, it's saying, what if? Right. It's a yeah. what if right. story. So right. speculation. Science is involved in the sense that it's about space exploration, right. but it's not what we think of traditionally a sci- sci-fi kind of story. Right. The, the last spoiler free thing that I wanted to say is that the way that the season ends makes me feel very secure as a viewer, as a fan of the show. They know where they're going. They have a very specific mm-hmm. path set. And it's not just, well, we'll see if we get renewed in in the grand tradition of, of television renewals. They know where they're going. They set this show up because they knew that they would get to tell the story that they wanted to tell. And we're not necessarily on pins and needles going, oh, they don't know where they want to go past an initial 10 episode set. They know yeah. the scope of, of of the long tail story they want to tell, and they've figured out how they're going to do it. And, and that especially uh, is something that that uh, I I don't like feeling uncertain as to whether 
it is worth my time to invest in a show because we're in the world of peak TV. And I like that that is entirely validated by by what you get from the end of these 10 episodes. I think there's a lot of homage may not be the quite right word, but like you, you know, having grown up watching things like Apollo 13 and later watching like from the earth to the moon and, you know, the right stuff, obviously there's a lot of this that feels like all of those things. Like it clearly draws for sure, not only on the historical, but just like on the, the way that those things built tension, the way that those things created certain types of dramatic scenarios. Very uh, recently, first man, first man, the, the movie from last year, Sonia Walger is like walking right out Mm -hmm. of the right stuff in this, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Steven, uh, one thing that I wanted to mention uh, that I thought of and I kept thinking of you while, while I was watching it is like the truth truth detection, the scientific uh, uh, analysis of like, could this be right? And, you know, there are moments where I'm like, mm, no, like they didn't have a computer with like a monitor in an, like, would it have happened that quickly that they could, like, there are a couple of moments, but I do feel like um, I really would like to talk to their science advisor or their or their NASA history advisor because it's pretty good. Like this is this is a, clearly a labor of love from people who have done a lot of research about not just what the tech of the time was, but what a lot of the kind of proposed things that didn't mm-hmm. happen and that in this show do happen. So that they like were they were kind of not just speculating, but like picking up things that were proposed and uh and saying well in this world they actually happened i was i was pretty impressed how were you uh, uh, about the technology part of this the only thing that that really raised my eyebrow was the lunar facetime like i just i just don't think you're gonna have video calls on the on the moon in 1973 but the rest of it did feel very grounded in the sense that it was either based on Apollo tech. And then there's even a, a situation in the show where someone gets put on the uh uh you know, the sort of the secondary Apollo stuff is like they had all these ideas for Apollo applications. Like, how can we use this tech in the future? And some of the ideas, like the mission that's going to go to, you know, fix a satellite. Well, that's something that happened in our timeline with the shuttle, but there's no reason it couldn't have happened with Apollo and with the command and service module. So I feel like all of that, including the lunar base, minus the part of it landing, I don't know how that would have worked in those days, but the rest of it felt like this is a a reasonable expectation had NASA been able to keep the budget that it had. I mean, by the time Apollo 12 and 13 were happening, the budget was being cut out from underneath NASA and they, they ended up canceling submissions, but like you can just see that, that whatever was, whatever ended up in the show, it all feels realistic in the world where NASA was able to keep the funding up. And I think that's why it doesn't feel like science fiction to me, that it feels more like that alt history. Uh, Because like, Dan, like you said, there's not like ray guns, right? There's not sort of things that feel futuristic. They all feel rooted in the world that they're portraying. This episode of The Incomparable is brought to you in part by ExpressVPN. Now, there are tons of VPN providers out there, but you probably want one you can feel confident in one that you can trust. ExpressVPN values your privacy. They don't log your data to make money from selling it like some other services might. ExpressVPN has developed a technology called Trusted Server. It stores data only in RAM, and it's super fast. You can stream HD quality videos with no lag. It's easy to use. You just fire up the app, click one button, tap your button on the iPad. That's what I do. And you're connected. That's it. ExpressVPN is loved by TechRadar, The Verge, CNET, and more. I've used it a bunch 
on my iPad, especially in another country, want to get back to the U.S., or I just want some privacy. I'm at a cafe somewhere, and I'm like, I don't know what the deal is with this Wi-Fi. I'm going to encrypt my entire connection, open the app, tap once on my iPad. That's it. I'm protected. I'm connected. I'm wherever my IP address wants to be in the world. It's great. Protect yourself today. Go to this link right now, expressvpn.com slash Snell, and get an extra three months free on a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Snell now. To learn more, thank you, ExpressVPN, for supporting The Incomparable. I'm going to officially fire off the spoiler horn here. Um, just if you if you are tempted to move on, this is your warning. We're going to talk about things that happen in it, and uh, you should just go watch it. But uh, now here is the spoiler horn. Here's the thing I wanted to mention and, and, and discuss, which is one of the neat tricks that this show pulls, I think, is it is simultaneously trying to comment on uh, society in American society in the early 70s while being a modern drama mm, from mm-hmm. the year 2019. And I think it does it pretty well and pretty cleverly. So the premise is that because things have changed so much, because the Soviets land a woman on the moon, they uh, scare up a bunch of women astronaut candidates. And this is something that if you've seen that that uh, uh, that documentary, Stephen, what's, what's it called? Mercury? Mercury 13. 13? It's mm-hmm. the it's the the women who were qualified but mm-hmm. were basically not given a chance to become astronauts. That is another yet another reference in in this. Um, and there are a couple of characters who are basically right out of that group. Um, so we get women integrated into the astronaut corps uh, much earlier than they actually were, and it allows the show to deal with um, deal with issues of feminism in the early seventies, the ERA era. Uh-huh. See? Era, era, era. Uh, <laughs> while also letting the show have men and women characters because it's a modern TV drama and having a show that's just men along with um along with like going home to the wives and the kids. You know, you could you could do that and say it was historically accurate, but it would also feel weird for a modern TV show. And I'll say also, um, you know, we see the other issues that that, that come up here. Um, through the lens of this alt history, early 70s, but also about today, we see issues of gay rights because we have two at least gay characters who are not, you know, going to benefit from the changes in alt history and are deeply, deeply closeted. And as a modern TV show, this show talks about that. Um, that's a, also a bit of a hat tip to Sally Ride, who was the first putting those two things together, the first woman uh, NASA astronaut. Uh, who was also gay and totally closeted while she was an astronaut. Um, And then the third leg of this stool of modern issues being kind of like put back into the early 70s is immigration, because one of the characters we keep seeing um, is a girl, uh, Aleda Rosales, who uh, comes from the first episode, like she's coming across the river with her dad from Mexico, and then she's uh, he's a, a janitor at Johnson Space Center, and she is a promising student, and uh, and you know her her father is 
they're not there legally. And her father is at one point um, basically taken away and sent back to Mexico. And so there's I just I wanted to say that that I think it's one of the very clever things the show does is it is able to both be a modern drama, talk about modern issues, put it in a, in a past context and kind of be able to do do both in a way that it could have probably just avoided and it it chose not to. And I, I really appreciate that about it. It feels like there's a few different ways of handling those types of things. Like I just finished watching another show that's set in kind of an alt history period. And in that version, um, this is Pennyworth on uh, Epics. They end up having a, like a lot of things that feel, you know, they, they are a modern show and they want to present it as a modern show. So you have a lot more characters of, you know, color and in positions of power and, and women in positions of power than you probably would have had if it were quote unquote period accurate. But it's never really discussed. It's just taken as a given in that show. Whereas for all mankind, like, you know, they, they are aware that this is something that's going to come up and they put a spotlight on it and they do it very well, too. I mean, I think that's one of the things that's. Um, the best part of this show is dealing with all of these things in the context and having like, you know, people come, there are stupid arguments all the time on the internet. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure you don't know that, uh, about things (laughs) like, you know, fantasy, fantasy stories set in medieval periods where people are like, it's not historically accurate. And you're like, it's a fantasy story. (laughs) Yeah. The the, the dragons were accurate. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So this, this is like, well, at least this is a period within living memory for many people. And so you know that it wasn't, uh, what we saw of it was not exactly what was always going on underneath the surface. And this helps like bring those issues to the forefront. And I think that's great. And it's like, we've got women characters, but they face horrible sexism. We've got gay characters and they have to stay closeted and it's really unpleasant in episode 10 when yeah. when yeah. Ellen comes out basically when they're all when she thinks they're going to die and actual human from history Deke Slayton says it gets really angry and in the end just before he dies because he dies that's what happens um he says uh, you got to keep this a secret and then he dies it's like geez, yeah, like, yeah so but it's like, such a nice scene because he's like there's so yeah. many people like me you yeah, know and it's like right. well, that yeah, was as far as he could that. go but like it, it, and and so the show gets to do that too which is yes we've got these characters we're a modern show but um we're not going to be like oh and then after the Russians landed on the moon we had a feminist utopia and it's like nope right Right, because we solved it by now, though in real life, though, right? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> right, it's too early back back then. Well done, men. On the note of Deke, I was so glad that they didn't go for the easy, uh, you know, lionization hagiography, you know, kind of kind of angle of just making him a a, a trailblazing progressive, you know, person. That making him a little grayer uh, where he isn't. I mean, up until that point. I really just I I Deke Slayton, you know, fought for the underdog and was, you know, sticking up for these women. And he was he was, you know, disregarding orders and and so on. And I enjoyed that humanization. Did I like what he was doing? Absolutely not. Um, But just because characters that you like do things that you don't like doesn't doesn't mean that it is not that it that it makes for bad drama. I think it really rung true that it was like he was he was pushed too far. Like he had adapted a lot. And that this was a thing where he was like, he, he was having trouble in that, in that last reveal. Like he, he had adapted a lot and was admirable. And then at the end there, rather than being like, no, I'm totally open to everything. He's like, I think human Mm. in being a, like in being in failing at that moment. And and it's tragic. It is terrible. It is very hard to watch, but I I thought very good drama. On the note of, of, of a couple of things that you specifically mentioned, the ERA, the Equal Rights Amendment, which to this day in actual reality has not passed. 
a lot of people who went through uh, American public education um, don't necessarily even know what the Equal Rights Amendment is. And it it gets ratified in it gets ratified in this show. (laughs) It it gets ratified in this show. Richard Nixon is is uh, ends up being responsible for uh, putting not just women in space, but the first black woman in space. the the thing that the thing that makes me bristle anytime anybody says it about any piece of art is you know I like art as long as it doesn't get political all art's political all art has a perspective sure. uh, and and it's ridiculous to say that it doesn't I think it is absolutely incredible the way that they handle Nixon Teddy uh, Kennedy yeah. and oh, Ronald the, Reagan the presidents yeah the yeah. Teddy yes. Kennedy becomes president it's like yeah it, yeah and, and we get <laughs> we get the tapes the tapes in the Oval Office with impersonators yep. basically doing Nixon and swearing yeah. you know it's, it's pretty so good. it's pretty good and yeah. Ted Kennedy it's so and, and, and Chappaquiddick doesn't happen Chappaquiddick doesn't right. happen yeah uh, he he does get embroiled in a scandal there is something that needs to be covered up and you know some good stuff has to happen in space to distract from this other thing the the depersonalizing the president of the United States is one of the best things that they did in this show. Um, and to the, to the point of, of, uh, of having a later Rosales in the show, there, there, there were various bits of chatter online that were treating her like Wesley Crusher in the early seasons of Star Trek, the next generation. And as a, a longtime member of the Wesley Crusher appreciation society, <laughs> um, I trusted Ron Moore to, to, earn that and to have not just thrown that in there as as a thing to you know take a stand on it, it wasn't just there as a puppet it, it is something that is very directly part of this intertwined narrative and this incredibly um cross-connected ensemble cast it, it's something that takes a while to pay off but it pays off there isn't anything when it comes to the uh political issues social issues uh, the the alterations made to history, it is it is something that is seeking an interesting story to be told. Maybe, maybe they reverse engineered their way toward, you know what? Um, we we uh, we want to build to having a standoff in space with a Soviet and U.S. base on the moon. <laughs> and and we want two Apollo missions sent up um, to rescue this one guy from the moon. And, you know, they, they effectively take the set piece and they go, OK, how do we get to that? I would be totally fine if that's what they did because they've earned every single bit of it. There isn't a single bit of the tweaks to history, the, um, you know, left turns or right turns from things that you expect. And there, there aren't just one or two things that don't go the way that you expect them to, or you expect some disaster in space to happen at, at a, at a certain point because they, they willfully use some of the tropes that are in the various movies, whether based on fact or not, that that have done that you are totally sporked in space. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the, well, let's work the problem, people. Except exactly, that, unless you get caught behind a, a a rocket that's firing, in which case you're yeah, just that's, gone. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's bad news. So it's just wow. a problem. R.I.P. Astronaut guy who we <laughs> briefly knew, and then he was gone. That was not a slow burn. Not a, mm, no. No, no, no. Good night, everybody. So the uh, the other <laughs> aspect of um of the the feminism of the early 70s and and the way this show is treating the women characters is that it it fully again really admire what they did here it fully addresses the astronaut's wife thing yes head on by making two of the main characters the wives of astronauts and then making one of them become an astronaut Mm -hmm. and so you get not do you not only do you get the hey we have women astronauts and they have to face issues too we get the uh 
two astronauts who are married and there's very much uh, a lot of, I think, d- uh, conversation that is sort of like he expects her to be an astronaut and also take care of the kids and cook meals uh-huh. and stuff. And she's not having that. And then we get the the real friction between her and her peer, who is the wife of the other astronaut, because she is questioning her own place in the world, having seen her friend become an astronaut. So it's like it it does not flinch from... The it doesn't be like oh let's not talk about the astronauts' wives. It's like no, we're going to talk about the astronauts' wives and what that what it meant being the wife of an astronaut and what you sacrificed there. And then we have we take Tracy and we make her into an astronaut and an yeah. astronaut's husband too. I think which is also true. A yeah, fascinating... that was really <laughs> yes. The, the, yes. <laughs> Mike Michael Dorman, who was a sad sad spy on Patriot and now is sort of a messed up sad <laughs> astronaut on yeah. Mankind. I was just waiting for him to start singing to the audience when yeah. no one else knew. He was right. Singing. <laughs> Little, I, I was afraid that Joel Kinnaman was going to start singing things up in the um, up up on the moon base by himself, and I thought, you know, that's Michael Dorman's thing. It took the Russian singing. The Russian got to do the singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this this specific thing that we're that we're on is something that uh, brings me back to something that I think fr- frustrated me about the way that that Apple reached out to press in terms of covering this. They got to see what three episodes of this. So they, they got to see a turn, but the press got to see six episodes of Watchmen. And and I feel like there there are there are pledges of faith that 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 the press could have made had they seen more of the show. There's so many incredible payoffs uh, that, that we get. It's not just this is the one twist and this is the gimmick of the show. It's a series of interconnected gimmicks that all function together uh, astonishingly well. I mean, there was definitely a point maybe two thirds of the way through where it's like accident after accident after accident. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they're never going to get him off the moon. And it, it <laughs> right. Really, right. Right. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it really felt forever. like going into episode eight or nine, like this is, um, this is getting darker than I anticipated. And then of course we have the, the, the standoff with the Russian cosmonauts. Yeah, I'm sure episode we'll talk nine about. gets real dark. Oh, yeah. Man. Yep. Uh, yep. Real dark. Yeah. And I just, I didn't expect to, for those hits to be so not repetitive is not really what I mean, but like just over and over, like I was Dreamy. like, are they ever going to catch a break? It's, the, it's that's the structure, right? That's the low point of the season, right? Yeah. But it's like four Apollo 13s back to back. This show does some amazing stuff with tension. I, you know, I remember going to see Apollo 13 in, when I was a teenager and I didn't know the history I did not know if they lived or died. So like you're sitting there at that moment, like at the climax of the film being like, oh my God, what is going to happen? But it, like in, in scenes where where there's ostensibly nothing going on on screen, right? Because it's a bunch of people waiting around. And yeah. uh, there was a lot of stuff just done extremely well in terms of building tension. My wife and I were watching, uh, I think it's the end of episode four five where molly goes into the crater to look for the ice and like they're like counting down the air and all that and like we're on the edge of our seats like they could kill this character there is no reason they couldn't right i know there's ice here i'm gonna keep going yeah anything is is fair game and i thought that was exceptionally well done in crafting tension in a show that is not about you know, shoot 'em ups or, right. uh, you know, a lot of other things that are typically used to build that kind of tension. And especially because, you know, this show goes with sort of the, um, 
the uh, factual approach of like not doing the sound in space unless you're sort of inside the suit with the character mm-hmm. and like that really works in its favor here i think to help build a lot of that tension because it feels very eerie and still and calm and you're waiting for that other yeah. shoe yeah. to drop well, when you're in space n- no one can hear you act yeah. <laughs> nobody's safe they killed a kid they killed a kid they did i yeah. mean they didn't really kill a kid let's just be clear there was <laughs> okay. an actor you know that is i mean one of the things about apollo 13 is i mean unless you just don't know that story it's like well we know how that turns out and here you like no one is safe right. because you exactly. don't know how any of this is going to turn out and so it's like imagine uh, doing so, a story like apollo 13 or as it happens in that hard part of the season several apollo 13s happen and they right. don't go well in the middle of the mm-hmm. in the in the middle of it all and then there are also triumphs um something that lauren was telling me while while we watched one episode was um she accepted that it that it like it was messier because the idea here is that they put their foot on the gas and it, it you're going to have more accidents the more mm-hmm. you accelerate and they're like no we got to be more aggressive we got to take these apollo prospecting missions and turn them into other things it's like well there's going to be accidents right so it it plays into that it, it's not unreasonable that there would be dramatic circumstances and in real life we've seen them solve the problems and they're going to try and some of them will succeed and some of them will fail and you don't know what is going to happen, which is which is uh, really exciting. How did so they did kill a kid, um, and we should talk about that because that's one of the uh, one of the things that I, I'm not entirely sure about. Which is in the latter part of the season, um, there is a especially a lot of time spent with the families back home, and I as much as I've said that I appreciate that I did have a few moments where there's there's particularly one episode where there are like incredibly dramatic things happening in space and we spend an awful lot of time um worrying about like whether a kid is going to get detention yeah and, yeah. and mm-hmm. I thought in the principal's is office is the balance is it is it like I get that it's the character drama and it and it leads up to a bunch of things but there there were a bunch of moments that that I thought maybe there's a little too much am i wrong in that no i'm a i'm a huge fan of character growth like i watch shows for the characters that's what i do and even then i know exactly what part you're talking about and it was too much of that in a part that i didn't really care about like don't get me wrong i you know having these wives having to manage the family and with the kids and how Having an astronaut for a father affects your life, especially when that father is still on the moon and can't seem to get home. And like all of those layers into it, I I get what they were trying to do, but I feel like it was it was too much. Um, And again, let me reiterate, I'm all for these breaks and breathers and ability to, you know, really add the human humanization element to it but it was it was it was almost too much to it it became harder to get back into the space part because it's like oh are they going to show you know a quick two-minute scene and then we have to go back to the principal's office or uh, is the kid going to get a talk to his dad or oh no he's just going to sit in the hallway for the entire time and that was pretty much the one issue that I had with the show, in yeah. fact, was little bits where it was too much character and not enough on this really important, you know, space stuff. Kathy, am I crazy or did it feel like they they tried to balance everybody's time and it would have been better for it to be lopsided at, at, at different points throughout the season? Yeah, it's almost like they like had these agreements with the different 
actors for their characters and they're like, all right, you will have 23.6 minutes. I kept thinking about, each... about budget too. Just like yeah. this is this is like we've, we've got really dramatic things happening uh, in space, but um, we can't show very much of it because we don't have the money for it. And But even look at all like the dramatic stuff they had in the sets. You don't have to have the CGI world to have these really dynamic and character building, but still critical to the plot bit. I mean, Hi Bob was amazing with that. Kathy, you're saying they didn't actually film this on the moon i thought, I thought apple I know, had all I'm the s- money in the world come I'm, on apple. i'm sorry i'm Look, sorry the spoiler horn already blew i'm yeah. sorry the- do we need a second spoiler horn for reality and how filming works i don't know i'm not sure i do want to dissent a bit just because i think i think there is some you know i, I agree maybe that some of the proportions are off but i do think that a it helped cut a lot of the tension. Like, again, we talked about how they built so much of the tension, the stuff that was going on in space. And I feel like if they maintained that much throughout the entire episode, you would just like you, your blood pressure would be through the roof. And True. so there are there is a nice ability to step back for a second. And it, and it helps build stuff when you have that lull. I will also say that I think some of it did end up being, as we alluded, it, it is necessary to build to the point where you can have that character's death not just feel like we killed a kid that you saw a few times and you didn't right. really yeah. care about. Remember right? he like, had a kid? He had a kid. Right. You, you were invested to a certain degree in them and, and knowing like, oh, this kid's kind of having trouble, like adjusting to this stuff. And I don't think that, you know, I, I wasn't sure they were going to kill him. I thought they might just like <laughs> break his arm or something. But nope, they decided to go all the way on that one. So in some ways, I feel like, yeah, maybe you could have done more with a little bit less there. But at the same time, I do think a lot of that did end up being necessary and paying off. And it didn't it didn't bother me quite as much, I think, as it bothered you guys when I was watching it. I didn't find myself thinking about it as much. But yeah, I, I think maybe they could have adjusted a little bit. Well, Dan, that's like that's kind of how I found myself arguing with myself where I was thinking, you know, this could be trimmed. This could be rearranged this way, that kind of thing. And then I kept coming back around to realizing, well, it's because I'm thinking about people uh, you know, having bad stuff happen to them in space movies. Like I, I'm thinking because like I have the muscle memory of that kind of stuff. And I'm like, why are we not Apollo 13ing right now? Yeah. I wonder uh, if my m- mindset might be changed in a, in a rewatch uh, when this episode was planning to be like talked Oh my gosh. When the podcast was scheduled, I was like, okay, I'm going to go through and I'm going to rewatch. That didn't happen. Um, I watched the first episode again. I mean, I I agree with Dan that that, uh, spending that much time with the kids especially is necessary given where it goes. And you don't want it to be just some random off-screen kid. At the same time... It doesn't really excuse the fact that those episodes, I think, drag a little bit because there's yeah. it's a little That's out fair. of balance. But I mean, this is literally I brought it up because I think it's the one thing that I can really point to and be like, mm, I don't think that worked as well in a, in a show that I think mostly worked uh, worked really well and mm. has those dramatic moments and the character moments and has the great skill of putting characters under huge amounts of personal pressure and space disaster pressure simultaneously yeah. right and that's that's we especially see that with uh we've mentioned you know joel kinnaman and michael dorman as ed baldwin and gordo stevens who are up on the moon uh gordo stevens ha- is having a, having a breakdown yeah. we get the high bob episode he tries to take his helmet off when he's out on the moon which was <laughs> that's yeah. bad Tent- for the attention. don't yeah. do that don't do that <laughs> and we actually end up with the other astronaut who's up there uh, she she like breaks her arm so that they can yeah. he can save face and they can go back to Earth. But that leaves Ed Baldwin 
up there alone and then he's like paranoid about the russian base but it turns out is not paranoid and the russians are kind of like going through their stuff uh and that leads to him uh doing that moment where he sabotages the russian yeah. uh, <laughs> rover and uh knocks the guy out uh it seems like maybe he killed him at the end of episode nine but yeah. he doesn't he oh, just i was he, so scared he just knocks him out yeah uh, can we talk about the russians for a second yes. because i think this yes. is really interesting they so i was thinking about this a whole way through in the first episode obviously we talked about it like from the from the get-go this is the point of divergence where it's like the russians land on the moon first and then we do not see any russians for <laughs> nine episodes of a 10 episode season and it's kind of amazing because like i mean we see them briefly shown on tv you know as they're showing their moon landings right but like we have no russian characters and again i thought going in that there might be more of like oh it's now it's the space races you know it's still going right so we've got the russians versus the americans and maybe we'll sort of bounce back and forth between these two sides no we get nothing other than like what the america sees in them and again mystery what they're up to it's very reflective of that era right but yeah. like I thought it worked well. <laughs> I, I thought it worked yeah. well, but I thought it was curious, and I think it's interesting how they we do actually meet that one Russian cosmonaut at the end here. But I really thought that episode nine was going to be the Russian episode, where like they mm. wind it all back and show it from the Russian perspective. Yeah, um, but it wasn't. It was, they just they're just like, no, we're going to keep it a mystery. We're going to have you be surprised by what they're doing, just like the American characters are. Uh, even though they're the point of divergence, they're not the point of the show. Yeah, and yeah. My, my wife was continually like, oh, once Ed was stuck there for so long, she was like, oh, they're going to need the Russians to help get him home. Like, like I thought that, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, hitch a ride with the Russians. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Dramatically, it was something that because of how episode nine ends, I, w- I thought he just plain killed him. Yeah. And yeah. episode 10 spins that on its head and turns it into the Christmas truce of 1914. And they're playing soccer together effectively. Uh, well, sorry. I mean, what, yeah. he's tied up. <laughs> yeah, he's tied up. Yeah. Right. Yeah, not, well, they get there. As they good, get as, there, good as, soccer, as good as they, you can be at soccer when you're tied up. <laughs> yeah. OK, they, they, they get to that point. <laughs> I left episode nine assuming the dude was dead because that should have killed anyone. But. You know, before that, though, it's not, that's not their first interaction, right? So uh, Ed Baldwin is, he goes to their crater where they're, you know, there's ice or whatever at the bottom of it. And the uh, the lunar elevator is down the crater. And he just stands there w- waiting for him to come up, right? And they have this right, very right. tense moment. Yeah. Can you get in a fight on the moon, right? Yeah. Well, right. How would that work? <laughs> he's got a wrench, he right? He does, yeah. yeah. And it felt like a Western for like yeah. two minutes. Yeah. And uh, and they sort of just, you know, puff their chests at each other and then he lets them pass. And then we have the, the deal where it turns out he sabotaged the rover and the guy was out of air and and then he space killed him. Let's not forget that the only reason the, the way that um, essentially the way that Ed finds out that something is wrong with his son yep. is that NASA is withholding it all from him. But the Russians have gone to the kind of unprecedented step of sending a message directly to yeah. him a moon sending, fax. sending them yeah, a, a moon teletext <laughs> sending their condolences and he's like what is this sorry about what your son heck? what is that about yeah and, and that's a, we get that and it's like oh they're trying to be nice <laughs> hmm. yep the uh there was a debate in my household were the russians actually being nice mm. and and showing some humanity or were they trying to screw with him I, I take the high road i think uh, so too i think yeah. so too i i what the other debate that we had was do you lie to him? Yeah. 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 We had that one too. And and my thought was, 
what what I understand, and uh, Stephen, I think you and I talked about this on liftoff at some point. I believe there's a protocol where before you go into space, you and this is like for the now for the International Space Station, before you go into space, you say whether you want to be told about serious personal issues on Earth. Like if you're going to be up there for nine months. Um, and a parent dies or, uh, or something like that. Like, do you want to be told or not? And they will, know? and, and they will honor your wishes, but they ask you in advance. And I, this was a case where this happens and they do, I mean, there is a very nice scene where it's pointed out that perhaps you should ask his wife <laughs> what, right. uh, mm-hmm. what should happen here, but still there's the real question. And of course it all, it all falls apart. Well, going back to the Russian thing, I found myself questioning, uh, cause I, I didn't know, I didn't have enough information to go on. Was it having grown up during the last years of the Cold War that was influencing me to thinking it was possible that, yes, they were screwing with him uh, or they were sending it under orders? And and I was like, oh, no, yeah, that's just them, you know, being decent human beings. And then later on, when Ed takes off from the surface and Mikhail turns and looks toward Jamestown base I was like, are they hanging a lantern on this? Is he going to go sabotage the base after like talking like a decent human being? It turns out he's going to somehow like sabotage something or another. I guess with the jump forward in time that we had, either something happened or it didn't. But I guess it didn't. I think Um, it was intended to suggest that, though, or at least ambiguity. I definitely read that last shot as something. Yeah. As, yeah. as, as likable as I found him, as much as I wanted to trust him, that yeah. one turn and glance made me question yep. all of the goodwill I that I, had, I, I yeah. put into yep. it. Right. And it might just be, let's look around. Uh, it might not even be sabotage. It might be like, let's just right. get more intel. Well, can about, I get- maybe they have some good snacks. Or their, or their encrypted communications or, or whatever it is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I wanted to call out... Um, a lot of good performances in this show. Um, some recognizable actors, not like biggest name actors, <laughs> but a bunch of recognizable actors. But the the, the relationship, you know, I really enjoy uh, Sarah Jones as Tracy Stevens. I think that it, it's a fascinating thing where we we very early on see that her husband, Michael Thorman, is uh, cheating on her. Um, and it's, it's devastating. And then she becomes an astronaut and the, there's a, like a power imbalance that flips there. And it's it's that's all fascinating. But, you know, <laughs> the relationship I love the most is uh so Chantel Van Santen plays Karen Baldwin Ed Baldwin's wife it's her kid who dies um she strikes up a friendship with Molly Cobb's pot smoking yes. artist hippie husband Molly's David Crosby looking husband yeah and <laughs> You know, and she's going through this real, even before her child dies, but especially afterward, like, why am I here? Who am I? Am I just supporting my husband who's up on the moon, by the way? Um, and uh, and the the husband of Molly Cobb is like, he's he's really cool and nice and is trying to to be helpful. And he's almost like her therapist a little bit as, as the space husband and the space wife. Um, and I just, I love that relationship. It's quirky and unexpected. And, uh, yeah. and I, I really liked it cause I was afraid that Karen was going to be again, kind of, uh, an archetypal astronaut's wife. And the truth is, is as we know from history that most of the marriages didn't survive, right? right. And yeah. so they were they were mostly very troubled. And so this show leans into that too, which is she's really questioning whether this whole thing is worth it and who she is as a person. And look, there's there's the there's the pot the pot smoking hippie husband, 
easy to say, of Molly Cobb <laughs> there to lend a hand and be like a, a, a an advisor. It's it's great. I, I love it. Love the scene where he brings her the painting that he has made of yeah. her nightmare. Yeah. Uh, with the was it the tiger or the panther? That's like it's like mm-hmm. it's such a bizarre scene, <laughs> and, but and it was great. great. She's like, oh god, my nightmare. This Wait. is horrible. And he's like, no, yeah. but now it's in the painting and it won't bother you again. And she's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe. She, well, and she she sets it against a piece of furniture, and then after the next jump forward in time that we do, it's framed and hanging on the wall of her house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I like that he brought a, a different dynamic to you know the astronaut spouses uh-huh. um, he is not a it, military spouse is he not at all and so it almost helped the other wives rethink how they handled things um in a way that i don't think if they had someone that was breaking the mold they wouldn't be able to they wouldn't feel comfortable or confident enough in what they're supposed to be doing and that paired with you know one of the astronaut wives becoming an astronaut like just all of it just kind of played into it. Okay, we we can we can do what we need to do to survive. In the same sort of dynamic, Clayton Poole, Danielle's husband, comes back from Vietnam, and oh yeah, uh, you know the, the balance issues that you know people did or didn't have, being whatever they are. Uh, he he is deployed so strategically and tactically and perfectly in this season where. We touch on Vietnam. We cover some Vietnam stuff. He throws his medals at the guard. Um, he pops back in saying he doesn't want to be sacking groceries. We 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 get the inverse of what you usually get in not just astronaut movies, but men on a mission movies where you get just a brief little glimpse at the wife at home and, you know, she'll be a nag or some other kind of stereotypical garbage. Um, but but we have we have the inverse of that where he is building on Danielle's characterization where we are getting getting to see what it is she is dealing with, what it is she's balancing, uh, what it is she has at home. And and it really it adds resonance to a lot of the stuff that, that Danielle goes through throughout the season. I also do love the relationship between Ellen and the bartender. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Everybody knows the bartender. She's you know, she's uh, it's Pam, right? Pam. Everybody knows Pam. She is the bartender at the astronaut bar. And what they don't know is that she and Ellen are in love and have to hide it. And Ellen ends up having, because of an FBI investigation has to, into whether there are spies at NASA, she has to hide it, as does uh, Larry, Nate Cordry. Hmm. Um, and they get married, even though they're both gay, because they, they just have to do it to hide who they are. Um, but I do, I, I really, and there's a great moment late where in the episode where Pam uh is talking to Karen not knowing who Karen is yeah. um and you know it, and Karen doesn't know who Pam is really right and they're they're both the people they love are are in jeopardy <laughs> and and yet in that moment they kind of don't know that it's it's a great it's a great moment that's so i i really like uh I like Pam and it's so tragic but um also kind of it's nice you see, you see Pam and Ellen fall in love and it's uh, it's and but it's on this backdrop of terrible things. I enjoy that scene where, you know, uh, uh, Larry has to call up and, and find her at one yeah. point at Pam's. Uh, and the the point where he has to like be like, you have to be more careful. Like, right. <laughs> and, they, and then we, we have to go to work and you have to hold my hand as we walk right. in. And, and then yep. at the end, you know, uh, 
Karen brings Pam to the family viewing area because whether she senses something more than just you're a, you're a close friend to all the astronauts and a friend of Ellen's or whether she senses it doesn't matter. She's like, you should be there. You obviously care about this. And then Larry is panicking because he's like, oh, God, they're going to give everything away. And they're like, shut up, Larry. <laughs> Right. Well, yeah. And you have, the, yeah, J- James Urbaniak as the FBI agent oh. who has to interrogate all of them. For my, for my money, one of the best casting decisions they made in the entire show is James Urbaniak as this traitor-seeking FBI. He's, he is perfect. Yeah, he's he is, on a mission from J. Edgar Hoover to find gay right. people. Great. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we've mentioned Margot at yes, all. Yes, I wanted to. Ren Schmidt yeah. is Margot Madison, and, and that's, that, that's the... Well, talk about Werner von Braun as well. Um, like she is, she is the flight controller. She is the protege of von Braun, but then of course he has his political thing. There's that amazing scene where he basically summons her. She has to go to get the accident report from him because he wants to talk to her because she's Mm -hmm. disowned him after his Nazi Germany past has come to light and he need he desperate he's a lonely broken man and he desperately needs to talk to her but he ends up giving her the ammunition to get the job that she wants as a flight director um and and she also is um you talk about the cross with uh, Aleda Rosales. She is mentoring Aleda Rosales and helps her get into the the you know advanced science high school and stuff like that and and so she's like she is she Aleda's Werner von Braun as a as a mentor figure who's gonna uh, who's gonna help her out. Uh, but yeah, that's Margot is a it's a good character and she's got a lot of rough edges, right? It doesn't flinch away from that that she has to go through a lot to survive as a woman in Mission Control. But also, uh, she's got a, she she throws a lot of elbows, <laughs> and she's a, and she's a character who is not very easily pigeonholed either. I love the scene where they uh, was it Molly runs into her playing the piano at the bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just like this entirely different side of this character who we've like, you know, not seen in out of her element. Right. Like right. She sleeps in her office yeah. right. in the first few episodes. And like here she is playing like jazz piano at a bar. Yeah. It's yeah. Very strange, but 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 endearing. The economy of storytelling with her is, was perfect. That that last scene that she has, too, which is, again, playing against your audience expectations where yes. Alita's lost her dad and there's oh, a moment man. where you know yeah. that what's going to happen is she's going to say sure alita i will take care of you and you can sleep at my house and i will be your new science mom and it'll be great <laughs> and instead mm-hmm. her reaction is exactly in line with who that character is she's like are you kidding i don't even go home i can't yeah. help you yeah. and it's like okay that's probably going to work itself out in season two but in that moment it, you Crushing. know it's it's more true to that character and i like that they they tiptoe right up to the line of what you expect for a heartwarming scene and they're like nope not nope, Margo. just kidding not gonna happen yeah I, I do have concerns about the amount of tootsie rolls that she is consuming <laughs> that that's not good for anybody she may die of tootsie rolls yeah, in, in season two she's gonna get the tootsie roll sweats and she's then... more tootsie roll than woman now yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know the 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 <laughs> character and performance that i wanted more of and it I'll say it, it fully upset me that we didn't get more of was Stephen O. Young as Harrison Liu. Um, yeah. It felt really weird to me to background the one Asian American member of the cast and the first Asian American in space. He had like two lines and, and then he, he was talked about more than he got yeah. to talk and then he got fridged. 
and not even properly fridged because it wasn't then used to necessarily yeah, he motivate wasn't, He wasn't fridged. He was just killed off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, just, and, he, he ended up in a refrigerator. Like, oh, I don't know how it That's happened. That's sad. Anyway, moving on. It's like, yeah. No, I did right. appreciate right. the brutality of that death, though. Vaporized. Like, like just the fact that it was... It was it was so shocking by its brutality, yeah. and I agree. Like it, I I can't tell if it's better or worse that they didn't use that as like a fridging moment to motivate everyone. But like it is certainly like illustrative of the dangers, right? And like we have a lot of that throughout this season. We have in in the um the episode with the all the women astronauts. We have the training accident, right? Mm-hmm. Which yeah. claims the life of one of the uh, in fact one of the really experienced female uh, pilots. Which is also kind of shocking, right? Like, you know, and it's a point that this is all dangerous. And the pad accident where uh, Gene Kranz blows up. Yeah. Just one day before retirement, no less. Yeah. (laughs) I did not expect them to vaporize Gene Kranz. I I know, right? (laughs) Me neither. No one expects it. (laughs) I think that that is part of their, like I said, very clever game of kind of like trying to get some of the more known care uh, historical figures off the board a little bit. Mm -hmm. I do wonder for season two, if we're going to see astronaut figures that we've seen before fictionalized versions of them or if they're going to kind of be like we're just going to introduce characters they might represent you know it might be similar to somebody that you've seen before uh, in reality in the 80s but um not where you know i i would i would think that they would do that that we'll we'll keep ronald reagan and stuff like that but not um not like sally ride that kind of thing it makes me wonder will we see characters come back as like you know buzz aldrin runs for the senate or uh maybe ed baldwin is is you know looking at a run for office or something in the 1980s you know there there are a variety of different directions they can go with it i i liked the throwaway reference to gene Kranz as they were finding the solution uh with with you know the 2425 uh mishap and so on just offhanded mentioning the last man on the moon um I would I would like to see those the, whether cameos in in the actual person of them or references to them. Well, there's a mention at one point of John something John Glenn like said, which I think was something he actually said at one point. He's very dismissive yeah. of it, right? Like they're like, oh yeah, you're never going to convince John Glenn like of this, and yeah. So you talk about the the woman astronaut episode where they where they have to bring them in Nixon's women. Uh, there's the Werner von Braun episode. There's the uh, there's the High Bob episode, which is uh, just a wacky episode. Yes. It, it, it's so it, good, though. It, it is. It's really good, uh, and it, and it's very much like I. I they have, there are so many storylines going that they can't do it, but you can tell that Ron Moore really would like that episode to just be entirely those people in that tin can on the moon mm-hmm. and yep. just keep mm-hmm. turning up the pressure. But we do cut away here and there, and I wanted to mention this because one of the great things about this show is not only. Uh, forgive me, I'm not going to do my full-on rant here, but like, it was released weekly after those first three episodes, and the episodes feel like episodes. Like you can say, "Oh, that's the one where this happened." Uh, they, they run yes. together a little bit, but, yeah. they, but they do feel like there's the high Bob episode, and there's the episode where all the women get put through the training, and you know, th- there are some very sp- there's the episode where episode nine where everything goes bad, right? Like. I liked that about it, too, that it doesn't feel like a 10-hour movie. It feels like a series of episodes, and I, I, it's a TV show. I want that. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, may, it, we, we mentioned some stuff about, you know, padding and filler, you know, or, or imbalance or whatever. It's like a minor nitpick for me where everything, it, it, I, I can't point at a single one of these episodes and go, you know, you didn't really need that one. I mean, every single piece of this thing has to, has to go together or you don't, you don't get to what we back into at, at the end of the season. Yeah. And, and for all that, it does still feel at the same time, like it tells a cohesive start to finish uh-huh. story. Um, even with like right in the middle of the season, I think is where we get the time, time jump. jump. Yeah. 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 Which was surprising. I think at that point I sort of did a blink when they landed. It was like, Oh, all right. Oh, we're we there have just now. Yeah. Okay, cool. forward. Two years later. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, yeah. we jumped from Apollo 11 to Apollo 15 and then from Apollo 15 to what? Apollo 22. Yeah, something uh. like that. So I think this is one of the interesting questions about where this show goes from here, which I wanted to get to. And this seems like a good time for it, which is the after the credits roll in episode 10, there is a, a shot of a uh, it's the what the sea dragon, which is this mm-hmm. proposed and never built enormous rocket that launches from the water. Um, and we see it and we hear our characters voices what like watching it on TV or something, but we're watching it and it's in 1983. And they're launching like a, a nuclear reactor to go to the the moon base, and uh, so this is out there. Like they don't necessarily have to pick up the show in 1983, although you know they Seems might. Not on, but, un, but not it, unlikely. It feels to me like this show is a show with big plans. Like that, I would. I mean, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna call it. I imagine we all think this. Alita is like totally the first person on mars or something right yeah 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 there's uh, like she she's not just an audience surrogate for you know the next generation looking to the heroes which i i thought that was a really interesting audience surrogacy role for her to play but it felt from the very beginning it was like all right well there's got to be a reason why we're following her as one of our pivot characters in the expanse game of thrones sense of it well and from the first episode too. Like it wasn't a, Oh, we're going to like dangle this character in, you know, in episode three, just to get her to grow on you. But no, it's like, she's in episode one. It's like, she is, she will be important. Oh yes, she will. But, um, you know, and I, I think that that's what they're going to do. I I think I read a, an interview with Ron Moore about this and I'm not sure, you know, producers lie all the time about the TV shows that they're making, but it feels to me like I would be surprised if this show didn't keep making time jumps and trying, to push it forward and tell interesting stories that will become a little more science fictional if we're, you know, going, you know, there's a moon base and are there civilians on the moon? And then are there wars and is there militarization? And do we send people to the to Mars or whatever? Like all of that to play for um, could be really great. And as opposed to it being sort of like what they could have done, which is spend the entire run of the series in the 70s, they're, they're not going to do that. I think that's good. It also feels challenging because I imagine they'll have to like some of these actors will not be the right age. like I assume they'll have to recast yeah her. or just or re- just replace right the, right the, exactly re- replace her with someone else and eventually our characters will be well are they old like there's some room there right like if Ed Baldwin is the first mayor of a lunar colony yeah, or right. whatever right like yeah <laughs> sure why not um, but yeah I, I it's also you know I think about this a little bit in context I'm sure a lot of us who have uh, watched this show and also read uh, Mary Robinette Kowal's Calculating Stars series sure. you know there are certainly some some parallels there and I, it's hard not to imagine that they won't expand further into to the solar system i guess the only question is how far do they get really yeah i wanted to mention one other uh, book while we're since you mentioned the lady astronaut series which is excellent and you should read it if you would like this show because it's uh it's it's a different yes, alt history it. but it's so great i want to mention uh there's a stephen baxter novel called voyage 
which I just read uh, because of the similarities with it. And that is that is also an alt history where Kennedy doesn't die in Dallas. He's wounded, but he doesn't die. And he becomes a rallying point to continue. It makes it hard for Nixon to cut the budget for Apollo. And so they go to Mars on a modified mm. Apollo, which is oh, it's wacky, but it's 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 a good book. It's not great, but it's good. But it 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 just brought to mind like the kinds of stories that they could tell. And in that one, they're using the the nuclear engine program that was that was Stephen. You know it, right? They're like we're gonna we're gonna do nuclear thrust, uh, and then at some point, people uh, were like. This seems like a bad idea. And in Stephen yeah. Baxter's, Baxter's book, they build that. And guess what? It's a real bad idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> spoilers for that book. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't go well. It, there, there are lots of possibilities here. And this is the great thing is a lot of this stuff gets explored in alt history and science fiction novels all the time. But to see a show with good writers and a good actor, you know, good, good cast and, and a good budget um, could be... You know, it could be a little better. A little more money on the space effects might make it even better. But um, it's great to see that because you don't get a chance to see a, a story like this. And so I hope they push it and do wacky things in the future. I have, uh, you know, I have a yarn wall for about 30 different things, but one in particular being, well, what are they going to do? And are they going to look at advances in technology, landmark uh, types of things in world history? You know, we we stopped uh, mid credits at, at 1983, which is a few years before Challenger. We haven't touched the shuttle era. Um, we don't know what this colony on the moon has done to change uh, balance of things in the Cold War. We don't know if the Cold War is going to end at the end of the 1980s or if it'll end ever. Right. Um, we don't have the Internet. We don't have uh, th- there. There's so many there's so many fascinating avenues for them to go down where I I, I don't see them. Um, jumping past the opportunity to to play for a season in in the shuttle era. I don't I, I don't see them not addressing changing dynamics in the Cold War going through the 80s and 90s somehow. Like why why? Why why burn past that that incredibly crunchy potential story to tell? Um, and I'm just fascinated what they're going to dig into and what they're going to play with. I just want to put the kibosh on them doing Cold War stuff in space right now because that's really <laughs> horning into my territory. Yeah. <laughs> They've got a lot to play with here, and I, I hope we uh, we get more of it. Um, there's a second season being made, so we, we're going to get a little more of it at the very least. Yay. I really love the title sequence. The title sequence is beautiful. Uh, the design, uh, the design elements of, of, of what we get in the title sequence make me want to watch it and, and not hit that skip intro, uh, click that thing or whatever it is when it actually shows up. Cause it, it doesn't always, um, yeah. but just the logo for the show. I want that as a hat. I want that as a pin. I want that as a t-shirt. I want a patch of it. You know, I, I collect, you know, I collect NASA pins and patches and, and stuff like that. And uh, and, you know, I, I want some of this really cool design work to be merchandised. Uh, God save me for saying such a thing, because um, it's 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 really gorgeous. Uh, that's one of the things that uh, that that uh, that I don't think has gotten enough praise. I'm fairly certain the uh, composer for the show is the same composer for Star Trek Discovery. Hmm. I don't know. Oh. It is. Jeff. It is uh, Jeff Russo. Russo. Jeff Russo right. does both of them, which I thought was funny because we we're like watching the opening. We're like, this is a little Star Trek discovery. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, that's no. why. That'll happen. That's why. <laughs> That'll happen. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we go, I'll go around one last time. If anybody's got a closing statement, well, final thoughts about how you feel about season one of For All Mankind and uh, and maybe enthusiasm for season two. Dan? 
Yeah, I'm super enthusiastic for season two. I This show, it was like you, Jason, it was my most anticipated show of the Apple TV Plus lineup. And um, I only ended up watching two so far, and I really like them both. Um, but this one was definitely a like tune in every week. My wife and I sat down. It was appointment television, and yeah. um, I I love that. It is as you've said a lot. I think that there's a lot of virtue to unspooling that week by week. Um, the char- I really thought, you know, I was worried the first episode or two, like it's slow, like there's a build, and I was worried that like I wasn't going to care about any of these people, but man, it really did pour on the gas, and I found myself just extremely caught up with all of these characters um, you know, and uh, even my my wife even remembering names of characters, which is a pretty big deal in our house <laughs> when she remembers the names of characters, especially like just like random like ah, it's just a white guy. I don't know what his name is. No, no, she knows that's Ed and that's Gordo. Oh. You know, like so. Yeah, I I think I'm super jazzed for season two. My only sadness is we we'll probably have to wait another like nine months. Yeah, I um I want to thank Apple for dropping the show at midnight Eastern because. Every yeah. Thursday night at nine o'clock, we just watch For All Mankind the moment it drops. I do it was not great. want to thank Apple for that. <laughs> Whereas Disney dropped The Mandalorian at midnight Pacific, so that was not mm. a show. Those are so. both garbage times, I just agree. so we're clear. Yeah. I agree. I don't know why they don't. I, I've said this on another podcast, but I don't know why streaming services don't drop these shows at 8 p.m. Eastern on yeah. the night that they're sure. airing so people can That'd watch them fine. that night and uh, talk about them. Uh, Kathy, any final thoughts? When I first heard the premise of the show, I was really excited, um, but I was fully ready to be, you know, white male characters and the wives. Um, and so I was really pleasantly surprised that it was presented totally differently. And so I'm really excited to see what season two brings and how they really develop this whole world that they've created. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Moises, final thoughts? Uh, you know, th- there are so many little things that I had no way to expect, um, you know, peppered throughout it. You know, episode seven, the famous episode seven, the high Bob episode where we get sad spies cosplay. Uh, you know, it was like a like a, a just 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 enough of Patriot for it to not really put off people that are watching the show who don't know what Patriot is. It was just that weird enough. Um, and, you know, you you got little doses of that kind of thing. Uh, and it. As as much as I love movies that are based on real events, movies that are not based on real events where bad things happen in space and, you know, a scrappy group of, you know, smart people have to figure out the best way to get something done. um, I got to see aspects of that and and ways of telling that kind of a story that that I haven't seen combined in just this way. I haven't seen just this particular recipe um, put together. And I love that. I don't know where they're going, but I like, I like where it feels like they're taking me to um, because I, I, I don't see them changing gears and playing dishonestly or playing unfairly. Um, you know, I like being fooled and feeling like it was earned, like it was like, like it was deserved. And for the, for the vast, vast majority of everything this whole season, I was just thrilled every time they pulled one on me where I didn't know where they were going. And I was delighted at how they frustrated and annoyed me and infuriated me or just plain surprised me. You know, I thought they killed somebody and they didn't. I thought, surely they're not going to, yeah, they killed the kid. They killed the kid. Um, (laughs) You know, the some of some of the some of the cultural things that are in there the u.s naming the first u.s base on the moon jamestown has some amazing american imperialist Mm -hmm. uh colonialist uh connotations uh which uh, i i think i think 
makes the notion that we were left off in 1983 where we pick up whether we pick up in 1983 or not it it fascinates me as to what version of the 1980s we are right. we are going to have oh, yes, as they yes. progress through time um i i i love that like i said earlier all of the presidents are treated the exact same way and and there is they they are not in any way um, you know, uh, almost, uh, you know, given the framing of a campaign ad, uh, like a lot of fiction treats them, they are politicians, they are out for themselves, they are focused on what it is they need and that they want. And, you know, they're running the country. And this is this is this is a small aspect of many, many different things that they're doing. Um, the cast is fantastic. And I can't wait to see, you know, whether they the crown this and replace actors um, or, you know, in cases where they can, they age people up. Great. Fantastic. Um, whether we end at around the millennium or or they intend to finish this series by leaving us in the present day in this alternate history. Mm. I'm I am up for for wherever they're taking me. Right. I, I don't even have a preference wherever this show is taking me. I want I want on that payload. Bring it on. Um, Steven, final thoughts. I think the thing that has stuck with me in the in the several weeks now the, since the show has ended is that so many movies of this genre are you, you know what to expect when it comes to the relationships, right? You have a bunch of guys, some are jealous of others, but then at the end they all have some sort of mutual respect and that saves the day, right? And so much of this show is about taking that and just shattering it where you have not only women and people of color in the astronaut corps, which in and of itself is something that didn't happen for way too long in, in reality, but you have there those interactions where people are, are doing things that their, their roles maybe wouldn't suggest they would do. And I think you can look at the relationship between the wives. You can look at the relationship between like the three that are stranded on the moon and you see them, those characters uh, branching out from what what our understanding of history would say that they that they would do. And I just found that really enjoyable. And I, I didn't expect that out of this show. And I think that's I mean, yes, I'm excited to see the sea dragon take off the uh, take out of the ocean. Right. Like, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> but I'm also really excited to see where they take these families and these characters. And, you know, what will the time jump mean for that? And. I'm a little nervous if we jump all the way to 83. Are we going to leave some of these characters behind? Because I think they're all interesting. I want all of them to come with us for season two. But um, I think this did a great job with the the human side of it. And in, in a way that, honestly, I found surprising and refreshing. All right. Well, I agree. I, uh, I really enjoyed the show. Um, I knew it was going to hit me right where I, you know, right where I like it with uh, space stuff and alt history and all that. But uh, but it was uh, better than expected. And that is saying something because I was uh, real hopeful with Ron Moore behind it, especially. Uh, but uh, it was great. Uh, people, if you bought an iPhone or a Mac or an iPad or are about to buy one, I don't know, there's a you can get a year for free and you can just watch it or you can just sign up for a month and watch it that way. And if, if you're listening now, I mean, we've spoiled a whole bunch of stuff, but you know, not everybody's allergic to spoilers. Some people aren't. Uh, but anyway, you could you could uh, check it out because it's really good. I want to thank my panelists one last time, Dan, Kathy, Moises, and Stephen. Thank you all 
for being here. And thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. There's probably another TV show we'll talk about next week. We'll see you then. I'm a huge fan of character growth. Like I watch shows for the characters. That's what I do. Oh, oh, Kathy, have you have you watched the USA Network? I hear that they have the characters <laughs> welcome wanted. Mm. I don't even know what it is now. <laughs> Not anymore. Sorry, sorry. No, yeah. 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 characters are no longer I, I, welcome. I'm, I'm yeah, I no longer welcome. <laughs>